Greetings and welcome back to another installment of the fifth column podcast. I'm Camille Foster. Uh, someone who will not be named is doing the robot. I just see it. It should be me. It's Dear actually Lord. Matt Welch, though. Weirdly Dear Lord. Uh, welcome back. Episode 34. Boom. This We're doing one today. It's this amazing. is a bit of a surprise. Well, you, can I can I say that at the end of the episode last week, Matt and, I, Matt and I were like, oh, we should do an episode next week. You know? <laughs> and he was like, oh, no, it's an off week. We have Thanksgiving. And and we overruled you, yeah. and we're doing one this week. That's true. And dr- drug, me into, uh, drug me into Midtown. I um, appreciate that you use as your Camille voice, uh, Eddie Murphy's voice when being white. <laughs> right. Is that, uh, so is that it, what that it, was? It strikes me. I was like, is that yeah, what they, that was? They give, and they give you free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm going to do the, the intro thing anyways, even though you guys have already introduced yourselves. Just, just because, I mean, tradition matters. No, it doesn't. It does. It does. This is a blue tradition. You're you're almost weekly rhetorical assault on the uh, new cycle. People that make it ourselves. Episode 34, as I said, uh, content warning, which is something we don't always do. But for those of you with uh, young children in earshot, you may want to adjust the volume accordingly. Uh, This program may contain respectful, nuanced conversation, discussion of important issues, uh, as well as potentially strong language, obscure pop culture references, and various other things. And really slurring co-hosts. Yeah, really really slurring co-hosts. We're okay tonight. I did... Yeah, I did yeah. a shot of uh, uh, tequila, and I had a beer. Tia tequila? Did you do your little Nazi <laughs> Oh, yeah. She's a Nazi. She's a, she is. Oh, she's a Nazi. She's a Vietnamese Nazi. I didn't know there were, those existed. Wow. Tossing, uh, tossing jokes back and forth are uh, Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine, Mike Moynihan, Vice News. Hi. Boo. Two, two titans <laughs> are of you uh, booing me or the place that I work? Gentlemen, uh-huh. are, uh-huh. are you doing okay? Are you, are you doing all right? We got to tell the, the kids. Because listen, everyone was was uh, is talking over the last forty eight hours in the most ridiculous uh, Twitter spasm since the last ridiculous Twitter spasm, all about Mike Pence going to Hamilton and all this kind of stuff. And what the kids at home don't know, and the people who are talking about the etiquette of booing or not booing the vice president or giving him lectures about civility and and all the stupid crap and Donald Trump saying safe space last week mm-hmm. after the aforementioned show. Yes. In order to catch up with me and Cat Tim, we had a couple before the thing started. We went to our local pub here, and we had a couple more, and we had a couple more. Yeah, uh, we fun. went. So there's this pub that we've been going to, and we Take can't. It easy. We Take can't. It easy. No, we're being. I'm being respectful here. Yeah. Um, so um, look, we record this show in Midtown Manhattan, not far from Times Square, but otherwise it's an un- undisclosed, very secure uh, location. <laughs> that in case of <laughs> Uh, nuclear attack. There will be a leadership continuity and everything like that. Don't worry about that. Uh, but I'm here to say is that uh, we're not that far from a variety of gigantic Irish bars that have multiple floors and flags and, or, or and Turkish. business, Turkish, whatever. I mean, you, that that I, description no identifying... is just way too specific. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. Irish bar near uh, Times Square. They're going to nail it down in about 45 I years. I think they're talking about Tipsy McStaggers. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> so there we were at Tipsy McStaggers nearby where we record. As sure. we've, gone, we've gone a bunch of times. Now, we've we've been there in the past. And it was a standard issue, a friendly place, but most importantly, it's very close to uh, Chad's um, studio here. It's very specific. What? This is, <laughs> what? I mean, Matt, yeah. you are terrible 
at telling stories. If I go onto the Google and I look at Chad's studio yeah. and fucking places to get drunk, at some point I've said the name of the place that we've re- that we you definitely have now. used the name Don't. before. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's Chad. That's Chad's voice. That's, that's Chad. Chad. Yeah, Chad. we got we got uh, some uh, notes so, uh, this so, yeah. past week about Let's the, just more be, Chad. To be clar- to clarify, we're at Chad's house in Long Island. Yeah, in the so, <laughs> there we were in Queens. Uh, Donald Trump territory. Uh, so, anyways, we we go there uh, this last time, and um, and what well, we've noticed even before this last time that occasionally you have these little things in the wall, like little bits, and in between all the flags and all the all the regalia and stuff, where they have little quotes, like from Ayn Rand, yeah. little over there in the corner there. I'm like, what the, what's that? A little little thing about capitalism over here? Just tiny little uh, yeah. flare. Um, maybe one percent of this otherwise heavily beflagged. Uh, tipsy McBastard's uh, place in, um, in Midtown and, Manhattan. And to point out, like, you know how your friends, like, virtue signal about their politics on Facebook? This is the opposite of that, where it's, you know, planting planting little hints as to the politics of the owner of this particular Irish pub. Now, continue, Matt. So, yes. yeah, so we've been talking about this for a little while, but just this other thing. Anyway, so I, we, I walk in with Cat Timp. I'm trying to hold her up. And uh, and Tipsy McStaggart himself comes over to me and says, mm. hey, are you Matt Welch? Which obviously is great because um, he's one of the three people in the world who's ever recognized me as a mm-hmm. stranger on the street. Uh, but then, B, after you guys come in, we get to talking and we find out that he is the target of a boycott on Broadway. Yes, he is. <laughs> in the same week that we're hearing about tolerance and what you're supposed to say, what you're not supposed to say, all this kind of stuff, it turns out this is the dumbest story ever. That's why we're leading the show with it. Um, because, <laughs> Always lead strong. Because... <laughs> Somewhere in a corner that we had not yet seen, and we've been to that place ten times. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, because once upon a time, someone who had worked for Breitbart.com had walked in uh, and handed him a little swag of it. He pinned it in a forgotten corner. Someone found this, and because he has some proximity to uh, Broadway, walked in and decided that he was running a racist uh, and perhaps sexist or whatever the hell is uh, pub, and they decided to organize a Broadway boycott of. Tipsy Mc, Mc, McFriendigans yeah. uh, here. So uh, uh, tolerance runs both ways is what I'm saying. Well, and he took it down, too, by the way. He did take it down. Because uh, as somebody who is um, quite a uh, happy capitalist, he understood that where he where where his business uh, is, it was probably not the best thing for business. So um, – he also said that that some of the wait staff, and if you've met, you've met the wait staff there, they're very they're various like Bulgarian. No, they're all from like, Eastern Europe. Yeah, none of them are Irish. So I was like, "Hello, my friends. I like to go from Cork in Ireland," <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, you're from Ireland, <laughs> outside of Bratislava." But they're, they're, apparently they had been getting trouble from uh, customers who were asking them to account for this small. A uh, bit of swag that somebody from the Breitbart thing had given them. It was actually a black woman from Bre- uh, Sunny, uh, what's her name? Johnson. Johnson. Sunny Johnson had given given him a, a flag, and he just put it up. And I, I don't know if he was being polite or if he loves the website or whatever. It doesn't make a difference either way. And uh, and yeah. So uh, after the fourth or fifth time that a member of the wait staff said, you know. This is a problem. What and, is alt right? And, uh, and others said they're boycotting it. Uh, people, uh, customers who had talked to him, then he he, he removed it. So there you go. Uh, whether it's at the theater where you see Hamilton, which I suspect is close by, I've never seen Hamilton. Have you? No. Did you see the Hamilton thing, no. Camille? No, no. no. You're I've, rich. I you can get avoided, tickets. Yeah, I've actually turned down uh, offers to go to see Hamilton with people uh, because I have wow. a very I have a very difficult time imagining that I will enjoy 18th century costumes, people, adults in 18th century costumes, rapping 
uh, about founding fathers. God, you're so close-minded. I mean, that just sounds—it sounds objectively bad. And look, I get it. I've heard from people who I respect that this is good. Oh, my God, it's amazing. It's the best thing ever. I already kind of hate musicals, and I make two exceptions, only two. Book of Mormon, which I've seen twice on Broadway. Super funny. And loved, funny, amazing. And the second is Strange and Unusual. I have a thing for Phantom of the Opera. I cannot oh explain what? it. Oh I have seen God. it what? at least yeah. seven times. What? Um, and prob- and that doesn't include the two oh. times that I've seen it in <laughs> Las Vegas I just at the Venetian. That what happened? Um, can, I, can I point and out? And I have the, the soundtrack, which is probably I, what? the most listened to thing on my uh, iTunes. I know all of the songs, and I've sometimes fantasized oh about God. being cast as succeed? the Phantom. I just want to say that the vantage point that that Christine. from where I sit, oh, oh god, oh. from where Christine. from where I sit, oh god. I get a, a straight shot at the end of Chad, <laughs> yeah, and Speaking I just saw his bald head <laughs> pop up like a ferret out of a hole. Like, what the hell is he talking about? And you know, he has the power to cut Camille's mic in an yeah. O'Reilly-like way. That's true. Cut his mic. I, I'm saying, look, I understand. Chad, do it whenever the hell you please. Yeah. My uh, affection for Phantom is strange. I don't oh know how to explain God. it. We can't. We cannot. Do you like Brigadoon? <laughs> look, we don't. Art value is subjective, and Fantastic. it's difficult to explain why pieces of art connect with us. Yeah. But yeah. When I art. Even now, I get I'm getting a little bit of a tingle as yeah. I think about it. Sure. Wow. I think you're having a stroke. I wanna I wanna <laughs> sing right now. No. And has, he's has making the hand motions with his oh, hands over the way, to, to all, I'm starting to tremble. To all actually. of you listeners out there, once we throw up the pay gate. Uh, which uh, I don't, we're never going to do, but no. I, I hope we do, because then it will take away the excuse of like, you know, these assholes don't pay for anything. I can sing on this podcast because I know like 90% of them would no, give us what? 45 ringgit or whatever currency yeah. they want to get Camille to stop talking no, about no, they uh, want me to uh, sing Miss Saigon or whatever the hell they want me to sing I think I think uh, hashtag Camille 2020 just took its uh, most grievous hit. Yeah. <laughs> this is your Aleppo moment. Oh, oh, my oh God. no, Chad! Chad did oh not. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah. They... Wow! Wow! Oh my God! Can you just take a shirt off? What are you doing, dude? Seriously? No, 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 Chad! No, seriously, seriously, no, seriously, because I won't be able to not. Like He's... you're even. I don't even. Oh my God! His eyes are wow. are wet. His, I don't yeah. know why it works for me, but Holy I'll tell cow. you what. Yeah. But I'll tell you what doesn't work for me. The very idea of Hamilton. Yeah. And, uh, what if it was a Ben Franklin rapping? Doesn't matter. What if I don't was, care. What if it was Murray Rothbard? I actually, I actually like, I like the genre. I care yeah, about it. Sure. I listen to it primarily. Yeah. When uh-huh. I'm not listening to Phantom of the Opera, I'm going to be listening to like Young Thug. Yeah. Or, or Drizzy. Or yeah. Jay. Or, or Kanye, who we may, we may talk about later because he's going through I mean, I, I, I like it. Um, I don't mind it. I'm, I'm not a musical theater person because I grew up, my father was a huge Marx Brothers fan, and he would watch the Marx Brothers with me and then walk out of the room during the musical numbers. I think because he thought they were a little gay. <laughs> I mean, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, you're just talking about, you know, he can't defend himself. He just because yeah. oh, so he, he died. Yeah, so uh, do, uh, do yeah, impersonations of them. Yeah, yeah. I can't, <laughs> I can't do the fucking. Oh my god, the t- what are they? They're singing. What are they doing? <laughs> they were making jokes, and all of a sudden they're to the tap dancing. <laughs> he didn't actually talk about that, but he had a bit of he had a bit of a Boston accent. But uh, anyway, we're going on. What are you talking about? Did I you think wanna, we were talking about Hamilton? Kanye? Do we want to talk do about the, let's do we, the Hamilton? Thing. We don't. I mean, is there anything to say? I, look, I. I saw this. I woke up on Saturday morning yeah. and there were, I mean, I was in bed. I took my phone, opened Twitter, 
And every person on earth was just scalding my phone with their hot takes on what happened when Mike Pence was booed at Hamilton, whether it was appropriate. Now, there's one thing I need you guys to clear up for me. Did they actually stop the performance to no. give this lecture? Because no, no, no. that was, was misreported. Yeah. It was the curtain. They're call. bowing. Yeah, they're bowing. But they, they asked him to stick around. Like they asked him to stick around. Just to be, Mr. B. Well, they called. They <laughs> to called be out. Ritually humiliated. Yeah, they called out. They called out Mr. Pence and, and asked him to to stand stand still. He said, "We hope you will." Uh, I think he said something along the lines, "We'll hope. I hope you'll wait and just sort of listen to what we have to say." And it seems it seems as though he did. Yeah. Um. And uh, he went on to deliver a message about. He referred to the cast, the assembled cast on stage, as the uh, the group of uh, minorities, diverse Americans who are concerned that he well, and the that Trump administration all agree with him. <laughs> well, well, diverse, <laughs> diverse in appearance only. That okay. is the only sort of diversity that matters. Sure. Um, but that that they are concerned and fearful that Mike Pence and the Trump administration more broadly will not defend their liberties, will not take care of them, and that they want him to know that they're concerned. And they hope that having watched their magical stage play, Mm -hmm. that he has now (laughs) been transformed from a moral degenerate Mm -hmm. who hates people on the basis of their appearance to Mm -hmm. someone who is actually willing to do things on their behalf and protect them. Do you, does everybody think here that there was a bit of a bit of a letdown and a bit, a bit of a disappointment because after this happened, Donald Trump uh, tweeted. And by the way, the president should be tweeting. <laughs> I don't even care if you're the elector. Stop, stop B- tweeting. B.O. Uh, tweets. Uh, uh, no, there's like some like 15-year-old kid. From... No, no. He has – when he tweets, he actually initials it B.O. This is, uh, this is the, the current really? – Yeah, this is the current way that it is done. The only real question is whether or not that at POTUS handle is going to yeah. be transferred over to Donald Trump Let or me if he's going to keep that. Love the Hamilton. Um, <laughs> so he does this thing, and he's like, and become it like embarrasses. I mean, every time he's on Twitter, everything he says on Twitter is an embarrassment. And then this thing of like, is, is theater supposed to be a safe space? I don't know. I think Jack Schaefer, um, our old pal and comrade, um, who is now Politico, the media critic, uh, tweeted something like, "You guys keep falling for Trump shit." Like every time he says that. I don't think he. I, I disagree with Jack on this because I don't think Trump's smart enough to actually do a safe space reference. Um, I think he actually uh-huh. has just kind of That's right. taken that in with the culture and said it. But I want like I felt there was a disappointment on this um, fake story when Mike Pence went on a Sunday morning show and said, "You know what? Um, I'm not offended by it." And, you know, that's what freedom looks like of someone berating me from stage. That's fine. Uh-huh. And I thought I felt that there was a disappointment that he wasn't more authoritarian. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, that stinks. It's like, no, I mean, look, I hate the ticket. I hate the incoming president. I have no real opinion about Mike Pence. Um, but, you know, I'm not disappointed that he's not being a psychopath about it. That he's not sharpening the knives in saying, you know, these people will pay come end of January. I mean, everyone else seemed disappointed. It's, uh, I mean, we all live in, have you guys used the DNA info map to see how how few people in your neighborhood voted the way you voted in this no, election? I, I, I looked at it in such great detail it's that incredible. I had I had to stop. You know you have to get away I from to get it. it. When I found the, the um, district um, out in the far Rockaways who went 86% for Trump out of 500 some odd votes, I was like, that's what made me think, and I might have mentioned this last week, of these people who say, you know, 
get out of the city, get out to see people that vote for Trump, go to Gary, India, not Gary, India, <laughs> go to the Rust Belt, go to Youngstown. It's like, dude, take the C train. Honestly, I mean, I <laughs> did mention this last week. You do not have to go far. I was at a uh, an event uh, that I also mentioned last week. Uh, um, uh, that was a uh, church anniversary of uh, the church that we attend in, in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn went 90 percent uh, for Hillary Clinton. About th- When did you start going to church, by the way? This is the more important thing. Uh, about a year ago. About a year ago. Is this a religious convention? Just kind of like. Just, no, no. no. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm just still bored. the same kind of nothing burger than. Yeah. yeah. Than, uh, Do they than know was- that? Uh, it's they they don't worry that I don't stand up and and really? eat the cookie and that kind of stuff. The guy, you're, so you're like the Colin Kaepernick of this church. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I get I it. Imagine, no, I'm imagining. I'm imagining yeah, I'm Matt going up to the front, yeah, and just like to the priest, yeah. and it's like, yeah, this is the bot, and he just takes just takes yeah, it. Yeah, with an Angela Davis t-shirt on. <laughs> there was an, there was an awkwardness because we got uh, my our second the body kid, of Christ. Get that out of here. Our second kid uh, baptized uh, there. And so, like, you just, I mean, you were, you were raised Catholic, right, Moynihan? I mean, not really. I mean, like, you went, you had to go to church until, no. you, until you punched no. the clown, no? no? Punch the clown, by the way, is the euphemism for masturbation. That's but, what I'm talking about. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's disgusting. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so you're just, like, vaguely culturally Catholic yeah, yeah, in that sure. you're mad and feel guilty yeah, about from, what a bastard you are. I'm from Massachusetts, my last name is Moynihan. Yeah. Let's just say that. Um, so, anyways, I don't know like where to stand. So, like, we had to go. We, we baptized stuff, and I was just always like on the wrong step. And and like, there's a big bowl, and there's water, and like, you're supposed to know what to do with your child's head. Is all very. Did you, did you try to make like ramen noodles in it or something? I just I didn't know what to do. So the, it gets awkward like that. But other than that, no, the priest very nice. But what I intended to say sure. with this is that so this uh, 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 event was being held. Out in, not that far from the Rockways, kind of not far from Coney Island, but even further out on uh, Long Island. And we were bored and kind of taking uh, uh, a cab or something uh, to get there. And so I was, uh, you know, uh, refreshing the DNA info map, the block by block map. And again, our neighborhood uh, in uh, in the kind of Brownstone, Brooklyn area is 90 percent Hillary, about 3 percent Trump, 2 percent uh, Gary Johnson or Jill Stein. Um, and we went through a huge solid wall of red out in the middle of it. And you realize that people just like have never been, including me, have never been 15 minutes away from where they actually live in Brooklyn and talking to people. And the bubble is nuts. I went out and we've seen in my neighborhood uh, uh, that uh, that uh, you guys know well um, that the evidence of this filter bubble. SNL had a great piece that we were looking at at, uh, at uh, Tradio Gascar's uh, before the show. <laughs> Um, of uh, the uh, of the bubble, come live in the bubble. It's a fake commercial uh, where people all agree with each other, and you know, funny, Trump yeah. is uh, is yeah. evil. And at the end, they're like, you know, the bubble. It's Brooklyn. With the <laughs> yeah, yeah, the reveal. And if you haven't seen this uh, <laughs> sketch, watch it. It's very funny. Uh, the best the best bit of it, by the way, is at the farmer's market because everyone ritualistically, everyone in Brooklyn goes to the farmer's market on Saturday and Sunday and buys uh, produce. And cheese that t- tastes about the same as the stuff you get at Stop and Shop, but costs nine times more. And there's a woman like drinking unpasteurized goat milk. And she looks at the camera <laughs> smiling, and then she looks like she's about to vomit. Yeah, and, that, and they pay for it with a Bernie Sanders denominated. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, I I live in that part of Brooklyn. When I was walking around uh, the other day, there's a real estate place right there on like Court Street. Huge, you know, uh, commercial drag through Brownstone, Brooklyn. Real estate place selling, you know, $4 million uh, Brownstone walk-ups there. And it's filled with flyers on the window on this main commercial thoroughfare talking – like showing Donald Trump's face next to a pig's asshole mm. saying, doesn't this look familiar? You know, the resemblance is striking. Uh, 
And it's it just, I mean, more than anything, it's just a bad joke. I mean, he is an asshole, but that's just a bad joke. And, and it's, you think this might be bad <laughs> yeah. for business, but so not had, not ninety percent, Bill. They had this uh, they had this flyer that I want to uh, read out loud because it's kind of amazing. It's down at uh, kind of ground level. It's at toddler level, and it says kids, comma real estate agency in in, uh, in uh, Brooklyn. Ask your parents if they like Trump. This is in red letters, Trump, to get their attention, or support him in any way. Then, if they say they do, remind them that it's not right to lie, cheat, mislead, and be a racist, and that if they continue thinking that way, they cannot ask you to not lie, cheat, mislead, or be racist either. You know, if I were a kid that was halfway clever and not a dolt like some of these kids, I presume, in the neighborhood— (laughs) Because their parents are adults. I would read that sign and say, oh, all right. They voted for Trump. Now I can lie and cheat and steal and get away with it. No, I don't call them. Kids don't care about hypocrisy. They care about what they can get away with. That's totally true. And and an amazing thing is that that this stuff, I want to point out also that that I live um, in in Brooklyn. I don't live very, very far out. I don't live deep into, you know, uh, Canarsie and Bensonhurst and these places that are really far out. Um, and for people out there who are not from Brooklyn, it's just there's like a little rim that is kind of uh, on the other side of the East River, you know, the, the parts closest to Manhattan. I live in one of those places that is solidly red. There's one tiny little speck that is solidly red. And I live right in the middle of it. Oh, really? And it is in Williamsburg. Um, and it is in South Williamsburg, deep South Williamsburg. And <laughs> if I can coin a phrase. Um, and the reason it is, is that um, I, ha- I live in a building, uh, and there are two building, couple buildings next to us, that are these uh, buildings that are in the middle of Hasidic Brooklyn. So everyone around me is a Hasidic Jew, except for my, my daughter, who... When, <laughs> First moved in the apartment, looked around. They have very large hats, right? These mm-hmm. big, big sort of the Jews. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They, well, the the the, 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 the houses, and they're like these fuzzy hats. You can look this up online if you. Because I don't know what they're called. I know the the things are called payas. I don't know what the hat's called. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, <laughs> this is so horrible. Levi, I love you. I'm sorry for doing this and putting you on tape. Good, good, uh, good to mention your name. She though. said she she looked at it and totally seriously. She said, "Papa," and I said, "Yes." She's looking around, and I'm like, oh, God, here, something bad's going to happen, because she's making eye contact with a whole bunch of, <laughs> of hostages walking down the street. And she's like, why is this neighborhood full of weirdos? <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, I don't know what to say to that, because... Oh, my God. You know, um, well, and I just tried to explain... I couldn't explain the sort of different type. She's like, and she's like, I has a friend in school, and school is Jewish because she's been to the house for Hanukkah and the rest of it. And I was but, like, yeah, but it's different, and you can't explain to a five-year-old that you know. But anyway, so I noticed this. I knew this was going to happen, but I noticed this after somebody that I knew pointed out on one of these social media networks, like, I can't believe I'm so ashamed that somewhere in lovely hipster Williamsburg. It was all red. How are we allowing this in our community? Yeah, and then I realized... How are we yeah, allowing I, this I, I, was like, I was like, calm down, Himmler. We're going to get to it. <laughs> uh, and then and I realized that this is the same person who I know who I've had an argument with about gentrification. Now, do these things press up against one another? Oh, that's funny. Because the Hasidic Jews have been there for a very long time. A very, very, very long time. And gentrifying apparently is okay 
when it means pushing people out who have uh, political opinions that are vastly different than your own. Well, uh, looking at the same maps and and uh, and you know going to our uh, church event, there was a lot of people there who grew up in the neighborhood, and this is true of our neighborhood in general. It used to be about 60, 70, 80 percent Italian for a long time. Actually, had a strong mafia influence, the Gambino family and whatnot. Um, and then gentrification. Uh, Joey Gallo used to live. Joey there. Gallo used to live there. Al Capone is from uh, you know got married in the church around the corner from our place. Yeah. Um, uh, so we know some people, and uh, and so uh, what happens is when it gentrifies, you know, the family house, everyone waits for for Nana to die, and then they sell out and they all move to Staten Island or New Jersey. So mm-hmm. all the people, not all, but many of the people that we met, first generation or second generation tops immigrants from Italy, mm-hmm. um, but some of them, you know, off the boat, Italy lived in the neighborhood, went to that church for thirty years, and then they sold out and they moved to Staten Island. Have you seen the Staten Island DNA? In hey, oh my God. <laughs> It looks like someone kicked over a bucket of red paint on that on that map. It's yeah. stunning, and so like yeah. the new people in the neighborhood who tend to be a lot of French people, uh, some Polish people, other people also immigrate. I was probably the only Ann Coulter American in the entire room. Uh, by what, racist? What, what does that mean? <laughs> She's uh, talked about like, uh, well, if we just limited the vote to people who have all four of their grandparents okay. in America, then I don't know something good will happen, yeah. and Nikki Haley will be sad. You, yeah. you should probably just say that instead of Ann Coulter American. Yeah, because that's no, yeah. No, yeah, I bet it's a That's grand. what I mean by uncultured yeah. Americans since you since you asked. And I know, other people, but people want to know. All right, all right. Yeah, all right. yeah. Uh so anyways, I'm the only Ann Culture American uh in, in the room. <laughs> oh, um, God, that makes me but like it's the, the new comp the gentrifiers were, you know, horrified at the election yeah. and the Staten Islanders and New Jerseyers were a little pumped up and like it was a very interesting and all of them are immigrants. You know you know what really annoys me is I was l- looking at the Ann America. Um and Looking at the Staten Island, talking talking to somebody about this, I, I, I sent it to somebody and we were having this conversation. And uh, this person, I, th- I thank God all of my friends find my uh, views so reprehensible that they'd never listen to this podcast and I can actually talk about them. Yeah. Um, because if they, well, if they heard it, they'd know. Uh, and said, you know, that's this is the thing that is always said. And this is a great kind of cluelessness. Um, a sort of, uh, you know, urban cluelessness and a certain type of urban cluelessness. It said, oh, yeah, Staten Island, these other places, that's where all the cops and the firemen live. Mm-hmm. Like, how many fucking cops and firemen do you think there are in this city? A lot. And how many do you think, <laughs> too many, and how many do you think live in Staten Island? By the way, it's uh, the NYPD is a majority minority police force. Mm. So the idea of old white ethnic cops on Staten Island coming to the city and just like hitting people with billy clubs is kind of outdated. But it also is it, it it fulfills a couple of stereotypes of the reactionary police force in one way, and another one is like they're they're kind of to use the the, the kind of college term they're othered, they're like oh yeah. these cops and they it's like no they're just like they're people who work in bakeries they're just normal people that live out there too that vote for Trump normal. I they're would, normal I, I you know I mean they're cis. New Yorkers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm gonna. Can I get in trouble for that? Can we? No, no. I, I was a joke. Fine. It was a we're, joke. People, you're making fun of cisgender people. Yeah, yeah, so that's exactly. Good. Exactly. That, that, people it's like safe me to make fun of them. I'm ridiculous. People I want like me. Camille to make fun of his people now. I don't know what that means. I don't either. That's the point. What rich people who live downtown? <laughs> yeah, like anarchists. I'm you in, and uh, Ed, I'm in so many tribes. Ed, what's his face? So many tribes. Like the, the I, I basically think of you as a rich person at this yeah, point. I don't. I don't want to make fun of anyone, um, except maybe the New York Times. Uh, what What you wow? Are Let's watch of, the pivot. Watch yeah, the pivot. That's pretty good. Here's the pivot. Here's um, the pivot. Well, no. I mean, when you when you talk about sort of this community of people who are interested in protecting traditional values and culture, and they are mm. voting in that particular way, um, that. Uh, protecting values and culture is is a phrase that I am lifting from an article titled "White Nationalism Explained." 
which yeah. is one of 59 articles in the New York sure. Times over the course of the last 12 hours um, about white nationalism, which is trying to help us understand this uh, horrendous um, conference that took place in Washington, D.C. over the weekend. It's essentially like a victory celebration of sorts um, that is hosted by members, prominent members of the alt-right. Um, and I, and I, I wonder about sort of just there's a couple of things. I mean, we've talked a lot about sort of the, the dominant narrative about the alt-right as it pertains to this election, that the alt-right helped to sort of power the Trump campaign to electoral victory. Um, but I'm reading like all of this coverage um, of the alt-right over the weekend. And, and I was struck by something I saw, uh, more than a few things that I saw, but this this sort of notion that, that Donald Trump's victory is the sort of thing that is going to help bring white nationalist sympathizers and white nationalism to prominence. And I thought to myself, you know what's really bringing them to prominence? Uh, exhaustive, like wall-to-wall coverage of a conference that was seemingly attended by maybe 200 people, um, half of which might have been journalists. Maybe a third were journalists. I'm not sure. Um, but that, that seems important. It seems important that that's the case. Um, and it seems important that when sort of Sean King does his write-up about this mm. um, event, he is quoting the people at the event and essentially like taking the words and not so much putting them in Steve Bannon's mouth and Donald Trump's mouth, but essentially saying these people are all the same and they believe the same things. Oh, my God, we're at war. We are, we are being taken over. These people are in D.C. They're not afraid to come out and show their face. It is telling that in a lot of these articles that I've read, in fact, the, it may be all, but I want to be careful about saying that. Um, and not that the articles I read is a, is a scientific survey of anything. Um, but I didn't see, I saw more pictures of massive protests outside surrounding these events than I did sort of crowded rooms filled with young, eager white males ready to take over America and take back America because they feel emboldened by President Trump. Well, it's, um, not, it's not that hard to understand, though. I mean, it, 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 there is a man by its dog story. These things have been going on in Washington, usually in the outskirts of it, for quite some time. Richard, these conferences? Conferences or, like yeah. this. Uh, uh-huh. Richard Spencer, That's right. the people around vdare.com, which is named after American Virginia, Virginia Dare, who was supposed to be the first white girl born yeah, in this country yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we've been talking with and tangling with these people for decades, a lot of them more like Peter Brimelow were kicked out of National Review 20 years ago. Uh, and for John Derbyshire, they're all British, by the way. Well, Peter Br- Brimelow, British. John Derbyshire, um, Steve uh, Saylor is probably the most, uh, the one out of all those that I Tia so, Tequila, I'm mean, the intellectual leader of the whole, <laughs> yeah, sure. the whole thing. So some of them are, are better than others, but usually, <laughs> usually no one pays a lot of attention to them, but. The fact that this group now is happy and feels like they got some of their own in the White House makes a media which miscalled the election and uh, and w- woke up super surprised looking around and saying, what did we get wrong? How can we overcover it? <laughs> uh, and I think I think that's what, what we're seeing as much as anything else. And I, I, I get the impulse. Uh, it's very hard because they haven't been. You know, they haven't heard of these people before. And now we have we're in such an extended uh, period now where there's kind of um, uh, in journalism. There's a hyphenation there if you didn't hear it, an in journalism kind of uh, policing right now happening of how we're supposed to talk about things. There's a whole thing. That's right. 
That's right. Like we, you we, have, yes. you yeah. have to call Steve Bannon X mm-hmm. or else, you know, it's all euphemism. And, I mean, Richard Spencer, he's an actual, like, neo-Nazi. I mean, uh-huh. that, I actually, in, in fairness, um, I, I can't really criticize that in, in too many days because I said this on, on Twitter today um, where I was giving the New York Times a hard time for saying – you know, uh, alt-right, uh, in using this phrase alt-right, and Richard Spencer might, I think he's the one who came up with the phrase, but he, he why, that. why do you allow people to come up with phrases in which they can label themselves? Because in the Times Like article, African-American man? Who's that? <laughs> I, 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 who's it's that? colored again. Uh, um, Did you not get the memo? Camille, come on now. I'm sorry. It, they don't know on radio that you're black. So it's <laughs> you're not you don't have your cloak black skin. Yeah, yeah. Is right my here. skin black? It's more brown. Uh, mahogany. This is really easy. Calls it chocolate. This mm, has really like gone that. off the rails. Um, the the Times today pointed out that there are people uh, yelling Sieg Heil on the back of this thing, and Richard Spencer on stage quoted uh, Nazi propaganda. I'd like to know what it was. Uh, that he quoted in German. So that's usually a telltale sign that these people are not uh, alt-right people, but actual Nazis. The best response to this, by the way, when I tweeted this, was uh, one of these um, um, sort of knuckle-dragging, drooling, uh, troll alt-right people said, hey, man, <laughs> this is how stupid these fucking morons are. He said, hey, man, if you had, if you had, I heard it, I was there, or I heard a recording, I was watching the live stream, and they are celebrating the fact that they love Donald Trump and he uh, uh, won. And um, they said we're hailing his victory. If anybody out there in fifth column land speaks German, they will understand that Zieg is the word for victory in German and Heil is hail. <laughs> so, so Zieg Heil and hail victory are the same thing, <laughs> you moron. But the other thing about this story is that is that journalists have to ask themselves, if you have a ratio problem of attendees to your compadres in the business, mm-hmm. you have a story problem. This is a pretty straightforward thing, and you would think this. But what this should, what the alarm bells that this should set off for readers, viewers, et cetera, is that when there is a ratio problem, you realize that they're cooking the books. And by that, I mean they are, all these people are going with a narrative in mind, and this is the narrative of the new administration. Again, and I throw the caveat out there so you can't cut this out of context in like an audio file on SoundCloud. <laughs> this loathsome, repulsive administration that's about to take over is not a neo Nazi administration. But if you want to advance that narrative, then you all go and show up there, right? There was some study, I think Camille pointed out to me, that 1,400, 1,500, 1,200 Twitter accounts are responsible for most of the alt-right trolling. And a lot of those might be yeah, duplicate I, accounts. I, mis- I misquoted the, the number last week and the context for the study, so I screwed it all up. But in, in either case, there's, there's not many. There's not many. Real accounts. And, and that's, pretty, that's pretty clear of the... You know, Pepe the Frogs and all this what stuff. Are you, what are you picking out of your tongue? I, I think I had a, a piece of sawgrass in there. Okay. I have no idea why. Uh, but <laughs> they can't I'll, see that. Matt. You don't have to stop the no, whole they, thing. They, 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 can, they can hear yeah, it. I was, I was picking, it, I was oh picking my, my tongue with yeah. it. You, you, you should tell people because they can't see about the little mustache that I'm growing. Yeah, uh, it's implied. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you are, if you are, if you have a narrative for this election for this administration, you and all of your friends in journalism are going to be chasing this stuff. And what they end up doing is this thing of what's the the, the piece that Camille pointed out of what is white nationalism, what is the alt right, mm-hmm. what is neo Nazism. The reason I tweeted that thing today is because. During the Obama administration, I was on the side 
and I publicly argued this many times, I was on the side of um, the left when they were knocking the Tea Party for That's conflating right. socialism, socialism. Yeah. social democracy, communism, all this stuff. It was all the same thing. Pol Potism, Stalinism, Leninism is all the same thing. They're all very, not all very different, but a few of them are very different concepts. Social democracy and Leninism are not the same thing. Sweden and, you know, Khmer Rouge, Cambodia, not the same thing. So when, well, let's call Steve Bannon a, a, a white nationalist. Well, I get this thing. White nationalist is a, a neo-Nazi. Are we calling Steve Bannon a neo-Nazi? Because I don't think that that's true. No, it's not. I it's not don't like Steve Bannon. I think that his tactics and his website are gutter. But he is handsome. But he looks like <laughs> a fat Robert Redford. He's like he's, which is still still kind of. Handsome. I mean, it's not bad. You yeah. could be you could be, could be much worse. You could be a fat Gilbert Gottfried, and that would be good. <laughs> but this is like this is the point where precision of language. You're talking about fake news all the time. Yeah. Okay. Let's stop. If we're going to talk about fake news, we're talking about precision of language. Let's not call Steve Bannon a neo-Nazi. There are enough terms out there that we can call him that abuse him and appropriately abuse him without tipping the balance towards hyperbole. I would, two quick points. One is that our uh, our comrade Kathy Young, who's written a lot for Reason over the years, has a, a really good piece on Steve Bannon in Heat Street that just like assesses the claims made about him, comes to her own judgments and the alt-right. And uh, I, it's one of the only things that I've read on the subject uh, that I just felt like I learned more going in. Um, what was her, what, what was her takeaway? Um, that uh, that uh, calling him an anti-Semite. There's very thin evidence for that hmm. uh, to non-existent. Where did I hear um, that before? Uh, exactly. Um, but she has more hyperlinks than your your mellifluous voice. Uh, That's, true. Uh, and, That's true. And but at the same time, he um, consciously whipped up an alt-right audience and and played up uh, both authors and theories of people. Who are explicitly racialist in their appeals? Including, I think that's right, including yeah. Milo Jackson. Yeah, I should I should actually point out that that it, you know in kind of separating him from the language of like neo fascism, which is a very specific thing, it's not to say that he did not, as I think Donald Trump did, nod in a wink to these people that you know are repulsive and um, are the worst kind of dregs of the online extremist uh you know worldview Weltanschauung as they would say because they're Nazis. I had a second point too but I forgot it so go ahead. <laughs> Although I, I I do there's something else I've wondered and and it's there's a few things. I mean first I I know that I have gone out and uh and covered like events where protesters are um and and occasionally these are events where there are a lot of left-wing protesters and there are always like morons in the crowd. Um, morons who are wearing red berets, who are who are actively advocating for socialism, a violent overthrow of the United States government. They are there. Um, it is easy to focus on those people, to highlight them and to pretend that they are the dominant voice at a, at a place like that. Um, I am I'm always really careful not to do that. Um, and, and quite frankly, even trying to sort of give you a flavor of, of everyone who's there and, and highlighting those people, I think, uh, is often a mistake. And, and I'm I at times wonder if that's not uh, a component of what's happening here. But I also wonder why there haven't been, and perhaps it's happened, uh, but I haven't seen it, um, journalists who show up at these events and perhaps confront the the assembled rabble with facts about the candidate that they claim to love so much and mm. revere on the basis of his sort of uh, nods in their direction. Um why not confront them with Donald Trump's affirmative statements about 
um, Latinos or his affirmative statements about African-Americans or the fact that he has said repeatedly on numerous occasions that he wants to be the president of all Americans and that he feels he can do things for black Americans and that he loves black people. I I wonder why it is um, that when we talk about um, uh, sort of these nods, the dog whistles in politics, which I, I think uh, the, the notion of dog whistles, and we talked about this a bit last week because I think it was, uh, it was highlighted in that, that Slate Star Codex piece that I, I referenced um, or that we discussed anyways, um, that, that dog whistles and magic bullets are kind of the same. Um, the, the fact that you can say sort of an obnoxious thing, that you can hold a perspective that is shared by other people who are awful um, but you can also say 98, 98% of the rest of what you say um, is totally fine and above board and respectable. And we're supposed to focus on that 2% and not the 98% because somehow or another, that 2% is the thing. It's the secret that, that they're latching onto. And they know that everything else that you do is a lie. It's, it's not real. It's theater. But the one thing that's true <laughs> yeah. is that 2%, that time when you didn't uh, <clears throat> refute David Duke's affections quickly enough, <clears throat> Michael Moynihan. Um, You're that's still wrong the thing. about this, but it's a good that's point. That's the thing that you need to focus on, not the, not the next day yeah. when I said forcefully, I hate him. Of course I don't. His, he's reprehensible. It's awful. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's, I, I think there's that, what, that piece what, of the without, narrative has always bothered me. Without totally agreeing with you, uh, I will give validation you to what you just said. You, you which, ought to totally agree with which me. Which is that I think there might be an argument for that uh, dog whistle, like a lot of things in American political discourse, is an ex- a description of the exact opposite of what it is. The dog whistle is in the ears of the listener who heard the high frequency when when candidate they don't like said X. Mm-hmm. They don't hear the high frequency when someone on their side says something like, hey, we should socialize the means of production by, by force. <laughs> or, or they don't hear the ordinary frequency. Yeah. That, you know, when, you know, what would you do? How bad is it to be a Nazi? And I mean, just in general. Yeah. But to be to come to Washington, D.C. Bad, in this triumphant tour, triumphant tour and say, oh, we won, we won. See, they're just saying hail victory because they won. You know, at what point in Hitler's 1932 transitional cabinet <laughs> did he have a, an orthodox Jew or uh, which is uh, Jared Kushner right He's, that's actually a good question at what point did that happen uh, it didn't happen okay. um, <laughs> I, well, who was the Omarosa of the Nazis there I just I mean well she's this, a token Michael the, you can't I take mean, her seriously but, yes, but, but, but it's actually, not even even if that is true did the Nazis she, not have tokens she, no she she probably they had political tokens in the way of uh, there was a split between uh, the, uh, Nazis that were national socialists and were more socialists uh, there were these guys the Strasser brothers Otto and Gregor Strasser and they uh, they ultimately were murdered so well one got away the other was murdered uh, but, but they were from what they're, they're they, Jews or no 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 they were they were non-Jews but they were there was ideological kind of okay. you know m- maybe Doris Kearns good and wouldn't appreciate the team of rivals thing here but there was a bit of that for the very very beginning but I don't it doesn't matter I mean if they are tokens that I, it doesn't make a difference I mean Jared Kushner's not a token his daughter con- converted you know maybe mm-hmm. she, I don't think she's probably a particularly religious Jew um, and you know it doesn't none of that matters the point is is how does that feel to these people who think that they have arrived and their you know the sleazy ideology is finally plunked down in 1600 Pennsylvania when you know the guy Half the time, it might be dog whistling to you, and I, I give the fact that I, I know Camille and I disagree on this, that he does 
you know, not dog whistle, but I won't denounce. I don't want to lose those people's support. I'm not going to come out and denounce the alt-right. I'm not going to do, and I, you wrote a very critical book in 2008 of John McCain, but John McCain, when that woman got up in Arizona and said that's he's right. a Muslim, didn't do this, he was like, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 that's not, that's not cricket. You don't do that. You don't say that. That's bullshit. He doesn't do that. That's what Donald Trump does. I think that's sleazy. I think it's unbecoming of, uh, of somebody who's going to be our president. Etc. Etc. But I just wonder what it's like to Richard Spencer. I think Richard Spencer knows that you know that his ideas have not plunked down in Washington uh-huh. in any substantial way. But the media thinks that, so he's going to take he all that it up. and say, I mean, "Eat it." Up. And he's going is... to be surfing it as much as he can, as David Duke's been trying to do. Yeah. in what he came in seventh place. Uh huh. In the, in, in, in the well, this is yeah. this is something Running. that we have we have actually seen in various other contexts um, as well. Um, and the the ones that come to mind immediately are um, ISIS and school shooters. Um, and it's it is the it is the 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 very comprehensive um, coverage of sort of the school shooter afterwards, the pictures and the conversation, and the fact that sometimes copycats do this so that they can have the same sort of treatment. Um, but more specifically, I think, and perhaps a better fit is the the narr- media narratives about ISIS. And look, I think we can we can perhaps talk a little bit about how stories are written, particularly in like cable news, how they come to be on television mm-hmm. and explained in the way that they are, which I think is important to highlight for folks. Um, but it is routinely the case that journalists, both who write at newspapers and who do stuff on television, will routinely um, exaggerate, misconstrue, um, and and sort of mistakenly uh, ex- exaggerate the risk. So both they'll exaggerate the risk and the sophistication of terrorist operatives, um, which has a very significant impact on the way that Americans uh, perceive threats um, and certainly has a consequence when it comes to policy. And, and look, here's, here's, the, here's the reality. If you're watching cable news, you're watching CNN, you're watching MSNBC, um, there are you know, 10, 15 people uh, off camera who are helping to pull together stories. Uh, and if you are helping to pull together stories for sort of an hour-long segment, you're not necessarily following this story every single night. Uh, when there is uh, what is the name of that that uh, there was an uh, an outfit in Syria, the Karasau group was it? Um, it was it was like a really sort of esoteric name. No one had heard of it before. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about. Everyone was an expert on it for Every, about a week and a half. Everyone was an expert on Even it. Even more than the hearing Yazidis. about it over and yeah. over and over again um, on, on the news, and nobody actually knew what it was. It was just an ISIS uh, partner. It was an ISIS affiliate. It was somehow related to ISIS, the, the Karasau group, and they lost. were they were building bombs, and they were the, the the expert bomb builders. They were the worst of the worst, and then the narrative just sort of teeters out. And the truth of the matter is people are depending on journalists, the media um, as a whole to sort of do fact checking for them. And the fact of the matter is that not all media organizations are created equally and not all media coverage is going to make you better informed. In fact, when you are watching in particular sort of breaking news um, on, say, a 24 hour news channel, um, you might not get (laughs) the facts Straight away. In fact, unless it's very likely unless you're watching you're unlikely you're unlikely going to. Well, <laughs> unless you're watching anyone and, and without giving Shep an endorsement, unless you're watching anyone who is willing to continuously, perhaps, uh, and repeatedly say, we're not really sure. We, we want to give you some information so you can know about the know about the risks that may actually be posed to you yeah. here or your family there, because that is the most important thing at the moment that versus trying to explain 
everything in the space of two and a half minutes. Uh, it's, the, it, be, look, your it's, point is it's a different. really, it's a really good point. And I, I, I would crystallize that in a different way. Go, go with, for it. With one, I, with one just... I mean, that's the smarter, bigger version of a very small point that I make about this stuff. When people talk about the media as this sort of monolithic thing, which yeah. especially after this election, everyone's talking about the media. What is our responsibility in the media for what happened? Did the media do this right? Did we in the media do, uh, should, should we have mentioned X or Y or Z? The boring, boring, quotidian Occam's razor thing here is this. There isn't a conspiracy, you dumb fuck. <laughs> the problem with the media is that, that people in the media, and let me use that just because that's the shorthand that's used, are overworked, underinformed, and they get... So if, I'll give you an example of how it works in opinion media. I used to come up from Washington, D.C. To, to, to New York to do TV once in a while. And I would do it in a bunch, do a bunch of them at one time. And I made a particular point after a while to say that I would no longer do a television show if they didn't tell me what they wanted me to talk about from Absolutely. the outset. Yeah. And what used to happen to me all the time, I was like younger and I was like, oh, I want to, you know, uh, hit in the batting cage. I want to, you know, get good at TV. And I, was like, and I would pull in the three hour uh, ride, two hours and 45 minutes. Into oh, so you're taking a Sella? Yeah, fucking thinking I took a slow train. Jesus, they're not paying me. I mean, you know, I you know, Judge Napolitano used to give me a back rub too. That was all part of the deal. It was in my rider. So he'd pull into the he station. Cut, he cut in line in front of me and the Acela once. Judge Nap went straight to, with a huge long line and like little guy. This is back when he's still big. A uh, little guy in the pinstripe suit. He's like, hey, how you doing, Matt? I'm yeah. front of the line. Yeah, and then you were like, Just dude, you cut, and then he said. Cutting the line is not what the Constitution. Part of the Constitution. <laughs> so, uh, so I would come up, and then people would email me, bookers, etc., about twenty-five minutes before I was supposed to go on with the topics. And sometimes those topics are like, "Wait, what?" It's like you know, I want you to talk about quantitative easing, and they had they they had a kind of sense of what I would say about it. Despite the fact that I didn't have a sense of what I was going to say about it, because I was not a specialist in this. I had no, I had not even written a piece about it. I wasn't even a generalist in this area. And that is consistently what happens on cable news. You're asked to talk about things you don't know about. You're not an expert in. That's what you should ask yourself when you're watching Fox or CNN or MSBC. You have some guy on a panel who's going on about Syria. And periodically, they make such a hilarious mistake that all is revealed. But usually, it's a bunch of micro mistakes. And you watch this stuff, and it's not so much that you know there is some conspiracy to have like a conservative viewpoint or a liberal viewpoint, and it's going to get together and coalesce, and we're going to take over your brain and fake news, and it's going to invent you know people are going to uh, you know elect a president based on that. It's it's less sinister than that. Just watch the person, the next person you see on Fox, do it tonight. Next person you see on MSNBC. And they're talking about Syria, whatever. Ask yourself and get on your computer and say, what is this person's credentials to talk about this? Yeah. Do they speak Arabic? Have they been to the region? Look, I'm as guilty as anybody else in this, but I've given up on it. I, I mean, you talk about when you're on TV, and I'm pointing to Matt Welcher, you talk about policy stuff. You talk about, you know, uh, what's going on in Washington. And that is your bailiwick. And that is what you eat and drink and breathe. But if someone said to you, Matt, can you come on? And talk about the conflict in the South China Sea. I mean, if you had to, and you was five minutes before going on, you 
you kind of got to do it. You yeah. can fake it. Well, what, but we all know how to fake things onto you. This is the secret, by the way. Of, I'm going to tell you one secret. <laughs> we know this, and Gary Johnson doesn't. Yes, Gary Johnson doesn't. We know this. Uh, all of us have done a lot of TV in, in our lives. So let me tell you the secret that everyone in TV knows and no one talks about. This is like this is like magicians revealing how tricks are done. If you ask me a question about the South China Sea and you fucking sandbag me, I had no idea this was going to come up. Say, Michael, is confident that you know what you do is you answer a different question. Now, you as a viewer will <laughs> never ever recognize this. It's amazing how obvious the trick is, but no one ever recognizes it. Sometimes the host don't even recognize it. You say, South China Sea. You know, uh, Bob, uh, it's, it's an incredibly important point. And I think the president is actually looking at this in an interesting way. But I think the real issue here. The real issue. And then you answer a different question. The broader. The broader. The, the, yeah. There's a bunch of code words that we use. When we're, the real issue here is, you know, the broader thing is, I mean, it's an important point. But yeah. when, we, when you move the periscope back. Uh, what you see, <laughs> yeah. But, oh, but yeah, some, yeah. But, but what but, you but, see is Japan, which is a different country. Let me totally talk about that. Country. Now, Grant, all of that is true. Yeah. But I also use that when I am asked a stupid question. Oh, well, that's that also I think true. Is irrelevant. <laughs> that's um, true. Yeah. So if if you say, but Camille, aren't we all more divided than we've ever been before? No, I don't think so. In fact, I think what the real yeah. issue is is Kanye's tour. Like, <laughs> just talk about something else. Yeah. But the media uh, people love it's such a silver bullet. It explains everything. It's a panacea for all of your problems. It's not us that failed. It's the media that failed. And let me tell you something. This is what we have to do is we have to hold American people accountable. They're interview. Everybody is interviewing these people who created fake news. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And no one has quantified for me, not a single person, how this affected anything. We have no exit polls, which are right. dodgy and, and amorphous and you can't grab onto them. But even those are something. We have no evidence of this whatsoever. But everybody is interviewing the same people who produce fake news. Then they show me the fake news stories. And my response is, what fucking moron believes this stuff? Right. <laughs> and there's no helping these people. <laughs> if you believe that Pope Francis played a game of lacrosse with Donald Trump <laughs> at his you know outdoor lacrosse stadium on Mars... You're done. You don't get. You should have your vote taken away. And the uh, that was my uh, rant for the day. Sorry. That's very good. That's good. Uh, that's good. Uh, uh, no, it it also plays to the narcissism of media. They want to believe it's their fault. Yeah, because that means that's that they're true. important. <laughs> that's uh, true. We've seen well, how important want to believe that too. How important is the fault. media? Uh, the number of newspapers that endorsed Hillary Clinton was about two hundred and thirty odd, uh, <laughs> and it and Donald Trump was in the teens. Really? Yeah. It, what, we've what, never what, seen anything any like major, it. Uh, major market newspaper in The l- a largest one, I believe, was the Las Vegas Sun, which is owned by Sheldon Adelson. Oh, uh, yeah. They yeah, would yeah, not yeah. have endorsed him if, if he hadn't bought and the And by paper. the way, people quit over Adelson. Like, yeah, yeah. Taking, yeah. Uh, I think that was the largest by far. Um, you know, Chicago Tribune, the number six paper in the country, endorsed Gary Johnson uh, early on. Uh, th- that endorsement came after his second Aleppo moment, and weirdly enough, he didn't get many more endorsements uh, after yeah, that uh, period of time. Yeah. No, uh, Trump almost uh, uh, almost did not get endorsed by anybody. So all of this moral outrage was stacked up in one direction, uh, you know, nineteen to one, and it no one cares because actually no one cares about newspaper editorials. The I, end. I wanted to, and, and I'm I'm sure we'll come back to this later. And in fact, this is this is a good topic to pivot to because uh, I have a caveat. No, no, not that. Maybe we'll do that at the end. Because it, it genuinely makes me sad, but I, I, I was a little reluctant to do this today because the truth is there. I don't. I only pay so much attention to Jeff Sessions, so I need to do my mm. homework about some of these cabinet picks before I can can talk about them in a thoughtful way. 
Um, my rant is already having an effect. Well, this is good. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. No, those those are in my notes. I wrote that. Yeah, okay, that as before. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Um, but uh, you know, we we are we do have some picks. I mean, we talked a bit about sort of Steve Bannon last week um, and the narrative there. But certainly with uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, Mike Flynn, uh, some of these other. Uh, people who will be depended upon by President Trump, presuming they're able to get through uh, Congress easily. Um, I I wonder about sort of the narratives that are there. I mean, with Jeff Sessions, I keep seeing over and over again sort of the the Reagan, uh, the Reagan nomination to the federal court where he did not successfully make it through Congress because people showed up to tell really horrific, in some cases, stories. Uh, And in other cases, stuff that is perhaps just a lot more distasteful. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure how horrific they are. That may be an exaggeration on there my part. There is one horrific. What was the horrific one? Uh, there was that's one... just it. That's an exaggeration. I think yeah. horrific isn't horrific isn't quite right. He was accused um, of being like uh, uh, saying, uh, I, someone... I liked the KKK until they started smoking pot. Or Although something. that was that was actually a joke. By the way, that was, there was some, was an incredible red flag on that for me. Uh-huh. Was I mean, he said, look, it was a joke, whatever. I saw that all over Twitter, and it gives you a sense. Like, I guarantee you that if I talked to Jeff Sessions, if I read what Jeff Sessions believed, I would run screaming in the other direction. I have that very good sense from the stuff that I've read about him. But that doesn't mean that we have to sort of surrender all critical thought and all of our critical faculties. When you see something as I did on Twitter so many times, Jeff Sessions said, I like the KKK until I started smoking pot. Who on earth sees that quote and says there there, must, there must be some must there must be some of the con- there must be some context yeah, yeah. what that's that's a non sequitur to end all non sequiturs if you're not making a joke about something that I don't understand right so he, he referred to someone as boy in another context he he called the NAACP un-American. The thing about all this is that I, I understand, you, you know, spelunking through uh, some guy's stuff uh, mm-hmm. and and always whenever yeah, you're writing sure. these articles, uh, mentioning his middle name, which is Beauregard. Uh, anytime you see <laughs> oh, Jeff yeah. Beauregard Sessions, you know you're going to hear a heap about his racism. And, but the and you is, only have to spelunk so far because a lot of this stuff was in the testimony from sure. before. Right. These are people who showed up yeah. to tell these stories. Yeah. Right. I'm but, happy they're digging through this stuff. I am too. But, but listen, he's been... The point man right. of the anti-immigration sentiment in the United States Senate for the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, that is where he has made his – that's why uh, the Richard Spencers of the world have always liked – Ann Coulter have always liked Jeff Sessions because he will stand up in the Senate and talk about how we need to restrict not just illegal but legal mm-hmm. Im- yeah. immigration. He will quote and get out of context and get absolutely wrong – all kinds of crime statistics. This is relevant. He's the nominee for attorney general. I understand mm-hmm. hating Steve Bannon and I dislike him, whatever I know him about him, but he's going to be the chief of staff. He's yeah. he's running meetings. Right. Uh, I, it's it's sick that he'll be on the payroll. But the attorney general of the United States is the top law enforcement uh, officer under the president is going to be looking at a lot of, uh, of discretionary decisions about where the federal government should be putting its prosecutorial muscle. And a guy in that position is someone who is a totally unrepentant drug warrior, one of the worst drug warriors out there, bemoaning that uh, some states have gone on legal pot. So it opens the question of, you know, what, if anything, they're going to do. They probably don't have enough right now to crack down on the states who are legal, but they do have discretionary power to crack down on any ability of pot businesses in state legal states to do banking, to do to uh, operate normally in the economy, uh-huh. sure. he can intervene in that in a way that's very bad. He has a uh, – he during this campaign, 
praised Donald Trump, said he's great, he's tough on crime because he wanted the Central Park Five to be executed. He, that, that was a conclusion that the next Wait, attorney- recently? This year, like three months ago, he oh, said, Donald God. Trump is, is great, he's tough on crime, and you can tell by what he said about the Central Park Five. What he said about the Central Park Five is that they should be executed. They're if they innocent. had been executed, we would have executed <laughs> yeah. five innocent people. Yeah. Not necessarily five great people, but five people who were innocent of the uh, charge. That, of, yeah. that, to me, is super worrying and yeah. so much more interesting and relevant to the way that power might be abused and why and how enforcement might do something than what he said 30 years ago and certainly about what some fucking actors said to a fucking it, vice presidential candidate. You yeah. know, it's funny because you see um, those of us of a certain age, I think that that younger people out there, and unfortunately journalism is now honeycombed with um, uh, people who are very young and who don't have any talent or any institutional knowledge or any Get historical off knowledge. My lawn. <laughs> oh my God. You know what? Get off my lawn. The best thing that people can say to me when I say that is always, they always say the same thing. They always say, Get off my lawn. They, get, they repeat a phrase, and I can go for 40 minutes talking about how shitty these people are in journalism these days. <laughs> so I win. Uh, but but, <laughs> but what it, it, the difference is that seeing somebody like Jeff Sessions uh-huh. being floated as an AG, a potential AG, is really alarming to those who have just grown up in the Obama years. And they're people of the Eric Holder, Loretta Lynch, et cetera. When I see Jeff Sessions, I see a guy whose policies on almost every level, I assume, everything that I've read, I disagree with. But I also see something that, that younger people might not remember is that I see an 80s Republican. I see a guy, like, there were no Republicans in the 80s who were like opposed to the drug war. There were people, I mean, that peel-off started in like the late 90s, maybe yeah. even the 2000s. I mean, it really happened in earnest with a Tea Party wave. Of yeah, it seems like around then, I mean, that like organizations like Right on Crime and, and you know, even when you have, um, you know, Bill Bennett rethinking things. Jeez, not enough, but rethinking things a little bit. I see a guy who's like, you know, everything about him is a Southern Republican from the 80s, and it's the most familiar thing to me. It's not a comfortable thing. It's not something that I like, but it's a pretty familiar thing. And I see all these people like, oh, my God, he said this. He said, like, yeah, but that's what American politics has been. I mean, we're not in some new, dark, low, you know, sort of caveman period of American politics. Yeah, might be. We're going, well, in, 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 when, it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to the president, I think that's right. But I think when it comes to, like, these kind of boring, um, uh, you know, maybe slightly sinister people like, like Jeff Sessions, it's like, this is what re- the Republican Party's been in so many ways for so many years. They weren't, it wasn't a party of John McCain's and Jeff Flake's and, Lindsey Graham, and I'm not even saying that these people, you know, who are hateable for their own reasons, but they're not kind of, you know, knuckle draggers. They're not retrograde. They're yeah. not uh, Christian conservatives in that 80s Falwell, Richard Vigory direct mailer kind yeah. of way. Well, retro- retrograde is the word because that that is it, it's when when I see like the the sort of uh, moral moral outrage on the left directed at at people like Jeff Sessions and and Mike Pence et cetera et cetera. I mean there there are certainly awful positions that they hold on on various issues. I feel that way about uh, people on the on the left um, and people on the right. Um, but but it is interesting. I mean th- there is just this this tendency to exaggerate and to ignore some of the other things that are also true. If I'm not mistaken, Jeff Sessions is also sponsored like sentencing reform bills. No, that's not right. That's not true. No, he's against them. He's he has never sponsored one. He might have sponsored one or two, but he's okay. But I, he might yeah, have. And I, look, I don't I, know if he has. But yeah, he's been. Yeah. He has been one of the obstacles. He's he's given some of the most outrageous 
anti-sentencing reform uh, kind of quotes and speeches on the Senate floor over the last three or four years. It's it's okay. it's we'll, we'll as to... bad as as putting Tom Cotton or someone like that yeah. in, uh, on sentencing reform in the in the AG. I mean, at least he doesn't get to vote on those bills now, so that's good. Although I doubt whoever's going to replace him mm-hmm. will. Um, yeah, this I, is this is enforcement and, and discretion, as as you mentioned. So I mean, he did vote. He voted for the uh, which was uh, as far as I know something like a unanimous vote when uh, the. Um, Senate passed or the Congress passed and, and uh, Obama signed the uh, reductions in uh, the crack cocaine uh, disparity stuff. Yes. But he's d- steadfast against applying that's, that. That's what I was talking about. Right. So he was one. He he joined the unanimous vote. It wasn't anything that he wrote or spearheaded. And then um, but he's against applying that retroactively to people who are still rotting in prison. OK. Yeah, that's good. No, it's not good. He's no, get- no, it's good that you clarify that. No, okay, no, yeah, the, yeah. the clarification no, is helpful. Not, but, I don't mean that that policy is good. But I think, <laughs> but I think, um, but I think, sort of the broader the broader point I was trying to make um, was, you know, the the actual positions and and the rest of his statements are also meaningful. Um, but but it does seem to me that it's totally appropriate to be concerned about the various ways in which uh, enforcement might change. Um, but but I I've also seen some corners. Uh, of the landscape where people I think are exaggerating the extent to which the, the holder regime uh, was sort of good and virtuous and achieved great and wonderful things. Like when they talk about the, the, the civil, the emphasis on civil rights that the, that uh, DOJ had um, under the holder administration, I see the various times that they got involved in some of the very high profile, extremely political um, cases. Um, and I, I suspect, you know, at some level you do want the Justice Department to get there. Um, But it also felt as though in some cases they were, in fact, not not coming in seeming like the impartial observers here who are going to to figure out what is true. It really felt as though they sort of had a dog in the fight in some of these cases. Well, in the Mike Brown case, as you pointed out, Uh I think in the last episode, uh, that they came to uh, a pretty – um, reasonable conclusion, right? They, they did. In, in fact, in most of these cases where they've gotten involved, they, they end up coming to pretty much the same conclusion as, but as the, some no, of the but other But to, to, to your other point, I think there is something disturbing about um, the idea that, you know, if we can get enough of our town's citizens to do X, this celebrity will come to our town and perform a concert here. And the, what I mean by that is mm-hmm. that if you get enough people out on the street to protest something, the DOJ will get involved in the issue. And that's what happened in Ferguson. And that's what happened in various uh, – Freddie Gray and various, uh-huh. various other things is that, you know, were these things objectively – the most objectionable things that were happening in the country for the DOJ to get involved in. Um, no, it seemed to me that they were responding to the volume of people that were on the street. Yeah, and they, they were I, politically I, charged. Seems, I don't know how, and to be totally frank, I don't know how this stuff typically works. Yeah. But, you know, when it's, I, it was, they were, on, were they involved in the Trayvon, Trayvon thing too? I don't, there think, a DOJ I don't, thing I don't think so. Um, but, you know, there's uh, like what spurs a civil rights investigation. So right. I look, to the people who like that sort of thing and, 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 and appreciate the holder regime for that, for that, uh, for that sort of thing, they are – they should be afraid of what's going to happen. Well, they should – Because they they're going to be upset. They're, the they're going to be upset that they don't get that. There's not going to be uh, – you can whistle and you can you know, um, scream loud. You can peacefully protest in great numbers. You can violently protest. You can mm-hmm. burn things down. You're not going to get um, Jeff Sessions or whoever 
is the AG pick to I mean, respond, I think, in the way that, that, that had been happening in the past. And I think they also like launched an investigation into the, uh, the, the, the financial crisis and whether or not minorities were being sort of predatorily um, set upon and taken advantage of. Like the DOJ is investigating this. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's a if Eric that's Holder a great is, if that's a great use of resources. Eric I'm not Holder sure if is a, a wonderful thing. Is the great villain in Matt Tybee's uh, quickly forgotten but pretty interesting book whose name I forget now, um, so I can't qualify for the contest. Uh, but uh, in which he was trying to uh, compare on one hand the Department of Justice's, um, in his view, uh, uh, light hand in prosecuting the financial crimes associated with the uh, Wall Street meltdown in 2008. Sure. Um, that it's all civil uh, uh, settlements and not criminal settlements. That was, it was based on a Holder Doctrine back from way back in the day when mm-hmm. he was uh, up and coming uh, in, uh, in the uh, uh, DOJ. Um, and then he and Tybee was comparing that to the way that the criminal justice system just soaks poor people for money in places like Ferguson, although he wrote it before Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Holder's an interesting villain there. A, a, a point of, of, of a agreement on this, uh, Camille, is that I think a lot of people love the after the fact investigation. You know, X happened that I don't like. We need the feds to go in and, you know, invalidate X or to declare that everyone who is around this X incident to be uh, guilty, even though they haven't, you know, uh, uh, sorted through the evidence. It's, it's like this tool, an, a post facto tool. Yeah. And they're much less interested in. And this has been true throughout the Obama administration and, and to a great sadness, as far as I'm concerned, much less interested in the, the extents to which the Department of Justice and other tools of the federal government can, if they want to, change the system, change evidentiary rules, change the way that people are allowed to have de facto prosecutorial immunity, change the tool set to make those X incidents less likely. They're all after the fact. They're not nearly as much before the fact. And the sad news about Jeff Sessions, among other things, is that he hates the before the fact stuff, too. He's a guy who totally loves civil asset forfeiture. They had a uh, Senate hearing on the, uh, it was called the Need to Reform Asset Forfeiture in April 2015. Uh, and Sessions, who's our next attorney general, because there's no internal opposition in the Republican Party. Everyone likes him. And I haven't heard of Rand Paul or anyone else against him so far. This this is significant. He said 95 percent of people who lose their money due to civil asset forfeiture have, quote, done nothing in their lives but sell dope. Yeah. That's your next attorney general. That sucks. That's uh, those reforms are happening and they're bubbling up. On the state and local level, um, and you know the Obama administration, Eric Holder very belatedly got into this game and started it started tweaking around the rules. We need to change those rules. Those rules, you get your stuff taken, even though you're not charged with a crime. And the next AG thinks that's totally cool. He's wrong. Well, this is this is another sort of interesting thing we're seeing here at the the tail end of the Obama administration, and, and maybe this will be sort of we'll punch out uh, shortly after this, but the. At the tail end of the Obama administration, and this happens at the tail end of every outgoing administration, there is sort of this spin up in the regulatory apparatus. And it's not so much that they're, they're passing a bunch of regulations. It's that they've been sort of sitting for a while. Um, there are lots and lots of pages getting issued. I don't know that they're breaking new records in terms of the number of it's, actual uh, regulations. It's called just cut in midnight yeah. regulations. And yeah. every single administration does it. But but in, in many cases, a lot of this stuff, as soon as the new administration gets to town, uh, they put a stop to it. Uh, they can fairly Congress is trying to to get out of session pretty quickly so that they can have even more uh, flexibility in terms of the number of these new rules that they can roll back. Um, and it it does. I am constantly reminded and and in the months 
in the months, here we are in the months leading up to sort of President Obama leaving, the weeks really up to President Obama's leaving. And I suspect there's going to be all sorts of sort of, man, we're going to miss him. God, he was so amazing. Wow, we're just not going to have anyone else like him in the White House again. Have you seen a newsstand lately? Uh, I've seen it. I've seen it. But yeah. but it's it's unfortunate that folks won't pay attention to the many, many places where he could have advocated for something more durable, like durable reforms in the area of, say, civil asset forfeiture, for example, Um, like actually advocating for legislation that would improve matters for Americans, low-income Americans, minorities, whatever. But this would have been a good thing, like actual durable immigration reform, not the sort of shortcut where you use uh, executive orders to try to get this thing done. But maybe when you had a heck of a lot of control in Congress and at the White House, you could have tried to do some of those important things that you say matter to you. He didn't. Um, And a lot of it is going to be undone by a Trump administration. And and that is I mean, who else can you blame for that? But President Obama, it is it is his own fault. He was never a champion for a lot of these important Come issues beyond Italy. talking about you them. You blame Mitch McConnell because he said he was going to oppose the president from day one and the re- right, obstructionist right. That's Republicans. That's the only thing. Come on. Yeah, that's the only thing. Well, anyways, that's 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 all I got. You're just sulking because of Conway. Con- I, I am. I am. Conway I am sulking, Amway. I am sulking Ke- a Conway? because of Kanye. Uh, <laughs> Kanye. Kanye West has uh, apparently canceled the uh, the balance of his. His tour uh, for 2016, which includes uh, two dates on New Year's Eve and New Year's – well, the day before New Year's Eve and New Year's Eve here in uh, in New York City in Brooklyn, actually. Oh, who had tickets um, to that? I, I didn't have tickets, but I was thinking about it. Um, I'd already seen the show a little earlier in the year. He, he doesn't seem well. Uh, I'm a little disconcerted by the whole thing. And, I thought and his quote about to Trump Kanye. was kind of great. I mean, uh, short of uh, saying that he supports Trump. Which, which one? It is so odd. Like, I, I saw this quote about uh, him supporting Trump and the... Uh, the or saying that he, he would said, have voted for him. Yeah, he said a number of things and, you know, black people aren't... aren't um, black people need to get over racism, et cetera, et cetera. The, the rest of that, though, is black people need to get over racism because America is racist. In fact, the whole world is racist. It's always going to be that way. Um, which isn't the brilliant insight uh, that people thought it was. Um, and for whatever reason, I keep seeing that, that back part of it, that plus the I would have voted for Trump. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it is telling that he said those things for anyone who wants to make a, a mountain out of it just before canceling the rest of his tour and seemingly having some sort of weird snap. So, so just so. I, you follow him. I don't. Uh, but uh, – uh, you don't think this is just like him reacting to the backlash of saying something mildly no, positive no, no. about Trump? Something... Like he's the he's got it's not no, working no, out for no, him. No, 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 no. I don't. I don't think so at all. Not not canceling like all the rest of the tour. But I look. I don't know. I I, I don't know the guy personally. I'm I'm just a fan of his music. It it is genuinely disconcerting to see someone acting in a way that just seems to be super incoherent. I hope for good things for him uh, in the way that I do for anyone else, especially as somebody who's made a bunch of music that I like. He's going Courtney Love, isn't he? I don't know. I That's hope it. Not. I hope not. I, I've got nothing else, though, on that. I'm just, just a little sad. Maybe we he should listen to some Courtney more phantoms. <laughs> I do know who Courtney Love is. Who is it? Uh, Kurt Cobain's wife, lead singer of Hole. Uh, I'm sorry. She's a person. She's not just <laughs> Kurt Cobain's wife. I'm sorry. She's Amal Clooney. I'm sorry. She's, she's uh, a mother. <laughs> is she? 
Really good mother. <laughs> Kurt Cobain's daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there it is. Francis right. Bean. Yeah. Uh, she's a uh, big f- fan of uh, my, the Fifth uh, Column. No, she's a big fan of my friend uh, who's an artist. She I, might also be. A fan of the I, fifth we, I actually pointed out to him that she had tweeted Francis Bean Cobain about how much she loved his uh, stuff, and he's uh, he's uh, too uh, uh, incompetent to turn this into any money. So. Just so you know. Moynihan, do you have some idiot wrote this? Get the hell out um, of it. You know, I usually, I usually do. And I've sort of given up on, on this. I think just for this week. I'm going to take a week off uh, for Thanksgiving of uh, some idiot wrote this. But I have idiot news, which is a little different. Uh, it's just some idiot. And it's just period. Uh, and I saw a story. Um, uh, this is what happens in the danger of uh, an administration run uh, by a halfwit who really knows nothing about politics. And I know that that's a feature and not a bug to some people, but you're starting to see the bugginess of it when uh, Donald Trump is fishing around the green rooms of Fox News to get uh, to get people in his administration. There was a story the other day about him reaching out to Eric Bowling. Oh, no. uh, for Commerce Secretary no. or in the Commerce Department. This huh. I don't know if maybe this is fake news. It was on Politico. Um, <laughs> I mean, that doesn't mean anything. It's probably fake news. Uh, let me just double check this. But he, uh, Eric Bowling, oh. uh, yeah, this is uh, three days ago in uh, Politico. Fox News, Eric Bowling, talking to Trump team about Commerce gig. Apparently, maybe it's not Commerce uh, Secretary, but in the Department of Commerce. Um, and Eric Bowling responded by saying, at this time, I can't confirm anything. Oh, I'm no! sure you understand. <laughs> um, so we are going to be overrun with an administration full of guys with, like, lacrosse lanyards on their neck. It's people from uh, TV. I mean, that's, well, it's that's like who he knows. TV, but it's yeah, like what about that bros, really sharp guy on uh, Fox bro, Business? Bros from TV. Uh, Stuart Varney. <laughs> uh, he's probably got a, a position deporting himself back to England. Because he hates <laughs> so much. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is the not an, some idiot wrote this, but this is just some idiot. Some and idiot Eric, might Eric, appoint this. Uh, yeah, Eric. Well, no, <laughs> some idiot might appoint an idiot, and uh, Eric Bowling, uh, one of the stupidest men in uh, cable news, and that is uh, saying something. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you what, if he goes, uh, if he goes and uh, gets in a position where he. Um, it's a big one, and he has to be confirmed for anything. Uh, you know, I suspect some stuff uh, might uh, might hold him up. An occasional listener of this podcast uh, suggested with a straight face that I would be a good press secretary for Donald Trump. Uh, Let's imagine. If he listens 77 minutes in, this is going to be the last one he ever listens to. <laughs> because you said that with a bit of sarcasm in your voice. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, it is It is interesting. I mean, I, I, I had an exchange. I've been – Taking any any amount of uh, of incoming fire since the uh, the election um, for for sort of holding up the standard bravely of Met Trump um, because I'm I'm consistently told you know this dangerous idiot he has no idea how to how to run a country totally true. Um, my my <laughs> my concern my concern is that the the very pretense that anyone uh, actually has the skill. An ability necessary to to run a country of 320 million people um, is perhaps a, a more dangerous problem than any one person. And if um, this this person, uh, who seems to, for all intents and purposes, not have any real interest in doing the job beyond finding a bunch of 1980s uh, conservative uh, establishment people and perhaps some folks from TV. Uh, to, to run the country, to do the job on his behalf. If, if, if our 
democracy, if our government, if our republican democracy, uh, constitutionally bound and all that good stuff, if these institutions and their checks and balances cannot withstand one blowhard, um, washed up former uh, reality television star, uh, we are in some pretty serious trouble. But then he lards his administration with uh, current half-wit TV stars <laughs> like uh, Eric Bowen. That could be more. Yeah, and more, maybe Rosa will hire him. And uh, who's the fat lady with the fat kid that was in the, the fat pageant? What the hell was that show called? Honey Boo Boo or some shit like yeah, that? Yeah, I, I don't know mom's name. I've given name. up. I only know. This, I only is, know this, is, this is how I talk about Are the octuplets? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. John and Kate. John and Kate. Do they have enough? Well, actually, enough John, John is sufficiently reprehensible yeah. that he could get a he could get He's a, a deplorable. In the White House. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's end on a sharp note, which is to say I totally agree with you, uh, Camille, that this is, a, this is a gut check for anything that is good about any of American institutions, precisely the ones that are not institutionalized. Um, like if we can't if we can't do this, then we suck. I think I think we're we're good enough to uh, to punch back. But that also requires uh, knowing that there's a target that needs to get socked in the jaw, I, which I mean, Moynihan. Yeah. Happy to take. Think, I think I understood. <laughs> I think I understood most of that. Um, well, gentlemen, I think we have done a, a service for the Republic today. Um, I also think that you gentlemen have earned yourselves um, a trip to the mall on Friday shopping. For mm. things. Oh, it's because it's hot yeah, Friday or it's something. Black, Black Friday, Black the Friday, most important thing, most important day of the year. I don't see, I don't see color in my holidays. Yeah, just, that's right. Hot Friday to me. Yeah, especially yeah. since I read in a story on Facebook that that is, uh, it got its name because that was the day that they used to bring the slaves out and sell them. Please tell me you read that on Facebook. Yep, because totally did. That's great. I know. You could, I can make stuff I like know. that. That's amazing. You know, the know. sales in America are based on uh, crushing Black American bodies. Well, broken Black bodies. If anybody that's, wants to know where fake news comes from, uh, just go to a university in America, <laughs> and the origin story of everything is fake news, <laughs> fake history. So, well, uh, we we had a good time. Uh, I am going to go listen to the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack. I hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving. <laughs> can post? Uh, can we go we'll out on Phantom week. of the Opera? You want Chad? me to? You want me to sing a little bit? No, not you. The past, the point of no return. Cut, cut his mic. Chad, cut his mic. The final. Chad, end. cut his mic. No, no. There only you. play our music. Don't don't play more Phantom of the Opera. Just just you can bring it. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column. Column. Column.